I see the future that's within our grasp. From the Political Science Department at UW-Madison. Democracy is not a prophecy, it's self-actuating. I'm Claire Salmi. I'm Cole Wozniak. And I'm Fiona Hatch. This is more work than in my previous life. I thought it would be easier. This is 1050 Bascom. In this episode of 1050 Bascom, we're happy to welcome back Gavin Luter, Managing Director of Universe City Alliance at UW-Madison. Universe City Alliance connects education, service, and research activities across UW-Madison with cities and counties across Wisconsin. We'll ask Gavin about his work and interests in urban affairs at Universe City Alliance, as well as a course he teaches called Welcome to Your Urban Future. We'll also ask Gavin to share with us ideas about how students might get involved in on-the-ground research and policy change at the local level, particularly as it relates to city planning and bettering our urban areas. We'll end by touching on the Wisconsin idea and Gavin's thoughts on how we might carry these ideals forward upon graduating. We appreciate you being here with us today, Gavin, and I'll let Claire start us off. All right. Let's just get started. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're really excited to talk to you about all these things. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Let's start by asking if you might be able to tell us about University Alliance and its role on campus, as well as some of the general partnerships you've developed with cities and counties across Wisconsin. Yes. University Alliance is essentially a network of people on campus who are trying to make UW-Madison, quite simply, more relevant and more responsive to what local governments need. The scope of the challenges that local governments face are huge. We've probably heard a little bit of something about, you know, dysfunction at the federal government, sometimes confusion at the state level, and all these issues and challenges fall at the doorstep of local governments. We have a large institution here with a lot of smart people and a lot of students who want real world experiences. So how can we try to take and leverage what we have here on campus and make them useful for these local governments who really need the help? So it's essentially a network of interdisciplinary people across campus who want to make UW more useful for these localities across the state and really the United States and the world as well. We're national, internationally known research university, so we have people who are interested in that as well. But we really, another way to think of us is the front door for local governments to tap into UW. UW is a really large bureaucracy, hard to figure out exactly where to go for the right people, and we can kind of help them navigate that. I would say what most people know us for is the University Year program, and that's where local governments can basically apply, tell us what they want help with, and then we get them to the right courses that can take on their projects as class projects. But we do more things like we have a class that we'll, we might talk about later in the podcast, get students to know all about cities and local governments. We have speaker series. We have networking for new faculty who just joined the campus who are interested in urban issues. Just because the university is such a siloed place, people who have like a common interest don't always find each other unless they're in the same department. So we're trying to set that inter interdisciplinary table, I guess you could say. But most people know us for the university year program because it's a really straightforward way that local governments can actually raise their hand and say, we want UW-Madison's help with X, Y, and Z projects. And then we take those to these courses, as I mentioned, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about them 
a little bit more, but there's a lot of directions. We've worked with 29 communities over the last six years, all across the state of Wisconsin with the University Year Program. And we're talking communities as big as Milwaukee County to as small as Pepin County. So large communities, small communities, north, south, east, west, all across Wisconsin. We have basically helped them with the issues that they wanted help with. We didn't show up and say, you need help with this. You want to participate in this research project, right? We show up and we say, what do you need help with? And they say, we think we could really use your expertise around here, here, and here. And that covers all manner of kind of public issues, everything from criminal justice reform to flooding, um, to diversity, equity, and inclusion, to how do we improve our teacher mentoring and our teacher compensation in our schools to economic development. Really, you name the issue, uh, we have worked on it. So I know that's kind of an expansive answer for the first one. It's just a teaser of what's to come in this conversation. Yeah, actually, I have a bit of a follow-up to that. With the amount of subjects that you end up covering with your work, what do you think that you find covering the most topic-wise? And what do you think are your favorite subjects to deal with? Uh, that's really interesting. What do we probably get the most? It's I would say it's like a tie between sustainability concerns and issues around you know, everything from green infrastructure to increased flooding to how do we do wind, solar, geothermal energy, what's feasible. We want to construct a new building, but we want to do it in a way that's respectful to the environment. What does that look like? So I would say all kinds of environmental uh, sustainability issues. And then we also get quite a few economic development, workforce development kinds of issues. Where is the future of our jobs going to come from? Uh, we want people to visit our community. We want people to live in our community. What kinds of businesses could we attract to the area? What is our current industry? What are, what's our current mix of industries? We want to make sure that people can get jobs when they live here. What can we do? And I would say, you know, housing is also related to this economic development issue. So if people come here, where do they live? All those kinds of issues are, are the kinds of issues that we get. I don't know if I would say there's like one favorite kind of issue, but I think there have been some really cool, interesting kinds of projects that we've done. Some of them are super geeky and nerdy that I, I don't know that everybody would think are really <laughs> super interesting. And then there are some that are a lot more like have curb appeal. One of the communities came to us and said, how can we be more optimistic about our community. They said, we have we have three theories of like why people aren't optimistic about our community. The future of economic development isn't good. Our health outcomes are negative and our educational outcomes are really negative. How can we kind of refigure them to make our community a little bit more optimistic? So that was kind of like a big framing of issues and it took us in approximately 40 different directions in those three subject <laughs> areas. So I love it when a community can really think broadly and try to figure out how we can leverage the power of University of Wisconsin to feel more optimistic about your community. That was in Adams County, which is a county an hour and a half to two hours north of here. Wisconsin Dells is like the way south part of the county, almost up to Wisconsin Rapids um, is the almost the way north part of the county. I also thought it was pretty cool when Wanakee came to us and said, we want to be a community that's welcoming and inclusive of all people. We don't think we are that community right now. How can we move forward to be a more inclusive community? Also, the city of Milton is pitching us that same kind of project next year. So I think this idea of like being a welcoming community for all people is really cool. We also had a project. I don't know why this like continues to stick in my mind, but this is the real neat, nerdy and geeky one that I don't think people will find appealing. But 
We had a community ask us, should we consolidate our 911 services? It turns out that that's a really, really politically sensitive question in any community. We have this existing service. Three people do this service in our community. Do we need all three of them doing it? So it's kind of in this vein of like, are we being fiscally responsible? It's also like dealing with police and fire, which is also kind of a touchy subject nowadays. And then the question is like, are there redundancies that are between these? And the community partner was like, this is going to be super politically controversial. And just so you know, you're stepping into a landmine. And when our students came in, they started asking questions. There were like no political issues. The students handled it really professionally. And I think we showed our ability to be able to be politically neutral. We don't come in with preconceived ideas and notions. We're not these high paid consultants. We don't have a reputation. These students don't have a reputation in the community. They're just trying to get a good grade. You know, <laughs> like they just want to know, like, what can I do to get an A in this class? And we want to be totally neutral and just ask questions and see where things lead us. And I think in an ideal world, this is exactly what our communities need. So uh, there are many, many different examples. Like, I mean, there's like one around signage and parks for, you know, Ho-Chunk Nation. How do you get Ho-Chunk Nation language and culture embedded into a park? You know, there was one about urban heat island effects in Milwaukee and there was creating a new trail system in Marathon County and child care policy in, in La Crosse County. There's just like so many different ones that I could choose. I mean, those are a few that just kind of jump out. This really flips the scholarly inquiry, right? We wait until we have people come to us and say, of course, we're not waiting, you know, twiddling our thumbs and not doing anything until they come to us. People are doing their thing, but the idea is the intake process is different and we get Sometimes scholars and students to think differently about how they approach studying issues. And this is where University Alliance is trying to be kind of a force for culture change to make our university more responsive to the needs of these communities across the state. And if we are in that listening and response mode and we're not in this telling and seeking out and you know, we have this particular, I mean, what is it called? It's called a research agenda, right? We show up literally with an agenda. But I think the idea is to um, be able to take in these projects and then find the right people who are interested in those topics. And the reality is, is that our university is just so big and wide and vast. It's like, who is thinking about these issues and who's thinking about these topics? And it would take any one local community partner studying for probably literally years on our websites about who's the right person and then who they think is the right person actually isn't the right person. And then they make a contact and they're like, oh my gosh, they never email me back. Or they told me this is not really what they're interested in. Like we try to cut all that out and we say, hey, tell us what you're interested in and we'll try to go find you the right person if they exist on this campus. And sometimes they don't. And so we just have to tell them we don't have that, but usually they do. How does that process work on your end once someone makes a request for some type of information or to consult with a, an academic here? How do you go about finding who that is? First of all, we get to know the community partner really well and we get to understand exactly what their inquiry is. And this is, you know, not saying anything bad about local governments, but I think just humans in general, they have an issue and they think they know what the issue is, but they sometimes don't actually know what the issue is and they don't know exactly what they want to do with it. So we spend about three or four months getting to know what that issue is and what the inquiry is that they want us to work on. So we have a deep detail, detailed scoping process. We even have processes that we can put through called strategic doing and appreciative inquiry kinds of things to get down to what exactly are you looking at? 
And then they write up a project description form. They tell us what they think that they want. They tell us what they think they want to be holding in their hand at the end of the experience. They tell us how they want to use that information. And then once we get that, then we have a meeting with them and kind of grill them. Quite frankly, it's like, okay, you say this, but what about this? What about that? So for instance, a community just came to us and said, we are trying to build safe spaces in our community. And we think we want this program for businesses that can sign up to become safe spaces. We got in talking with them in 15 minutes. They were like, actually, we're not really sure the businesses are going to be supportive of this. You know, we actually think we need a mentoring program for kids in our community who identify as underserved or marginalized groups in some way. That's the process for intake. And we ask them these questions. Then once we have a really concrete idea of what those questions are, then we can actually take that to the faculty members and say, this is what the inquiry is. That's the harder part is trying to find the people on campus. But again, thanks to our network of the University Alliance, thanks to partners we've been working with around campus for many years now, we kind of know where to go and say, hey, do you know people who are working on issue X, Y, or Z? And we'll end up finding a path to get there. So it's a detailed scoping process, and then it's hitting the pavement. And then once we get the tentative match made, then we bring the community partner together with that faculty to make sure it's actually a good fit. And then we start dictating the terms of what that project is going to look like. So in a sense, we're working with them before they go on to work with larger consultants and we kind of get their house in order, understand exactly what the questions are that they want to work on. And then they can then take that to larger consultants that might be able to flesh out larger projects later on down the road. At first, I thought we were going to like compete with the consultant community, but I actually had a couple of consultants be like, hey, I work with that community after you all. Thank you so much for working with them to clarify what they wanted because it saved us a bunch of time. It saved us a bunch of research. And I thought, wow, there might actually be some synergies here with these the consulting world out there. And we've actually worked with some of those consulting groups on campus sometimes to apply what they do to what our communities want. UW-Madison is a vast enterprise with many, many different things under its umbrella. There are so many cool groups on campus that do want to learn these consulting skills, and we kind of get them before they go out into the world to be consultants. We just want to mention that we know University Alliance was just recognized this fall for its exemplary work by the Association <laughs> of Public and Land-Grant Universities. And we know that submission to the APLU was based on a case study of your work in Greene County. And that involved a lot of UW-Madison students from our understanding and 27 faculty members across a lot of different schools. So I don't know if you want to just give like a brief overview of what that was. We want to recognize that that's a really cool achievement. Yeah, it was an APLU slash Kellogg Foundation award. They give out four regional awards for community-engaged scholarship to different campuses every year. And we were recognized, and we just feel really proud of the fact that we were able to do this work in, in Greene County. And Greene County was only our third partner that we did. So in a sense, we were still trying to get our sea legs. We didn't exactly know what we were doing at that time, 100%. But we ended up completing 50 projects with you know, 250, 300 students that were involved, 27 faculty, as you mentioned. And we worked across seven different localities within Greene County to kind of herd the cats, so to speak, seven different local governments in one place, a lot of people to work with at one time. So it was, it was really cool. And, and I think the, the really, the thing that I want to say more about with this award is I think we probably wouldn't have applied for the award had we not gone back to the community about three years after we participated in this program or they participated with us. And we did an evaluation session. It was called ripple effects mapping. So imagine an intervention being a stone that you throw into a pond and it creates ripples, right? 
that was the idea, the stone in this case for the university year program. And we wanted to see what ripples were still going on in the pond three years after we did this. And we had about 15 members of the community show up, you know, mayors and you know public works directors, residents. And they told us stories about like, oh, yeah, that project, you know what that led to? I learned about this person and then we wrote this grant and then we hired this person or, you know, yeah. And then I didn't realize that the school district did that. And so I connected with the school. It was all these things that I saw like, wow, even three years later, there are still these impacts, I would say. And I think that's one of the hardest things in community engagement is try to understand what is the impact. You want to be really delicate to not say, well, because we did this, therefore the community is now transformed into something totally different. Of course, they're doing all this work uh, you know, without us as well, but we were sometimes the catalyst or sometimes we were just the people to inject a little bit more mo momentum into the process. So getting a chance to hear from these community members that they were able to hire new people or this new thing was under construction or now they have a new they have a new food cooperative to address food insecurity across Green County. And that started because this one class helped them write a business plan and then they got connected to the center on cooperatives and then da, 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 da. and then now they had this thing that opened uh, during the pandemic because food security got worse during the pandemic. So it was really cool to see that and I think that really is what got us to want to apply and I think that captured the hearts and minds of people who selected us, obviously. Um, and we're just really grateful to APLU and the Cog Foundation for recognizing us. So we were hoping that you might talk a little bit about how students in UW-Madison might get involved with University Alliance. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in some ways, it's super simple. In some ways, it's super complicated. <laughs> the simple part is if you happen to be taking one of several key courses you have a bigger chance of being engaged with us, but that's the complicated part is what if you're not taking one of those classes? Classes we've worked with pretty typically have been Little Follett School cost-benefit analysis, the Masters of Public Health um, evidence-based decision-making class, or engineering leadership, inter-engineering inter uh, leadership 303, I think. So yeah, to a certain extent, if you're working, taking one of those classes, you might very well work in our project, but what if you're a political science student and you don't take any of those classes, you might be wondering. That is why we've tried to create more opportunities for students who have very specific skills or interests and be able to kind of apply into working with one of our experiences. Now, to a certain extent, it's a little episodic and it doesn't always happen as routinely, but I'll get to that in a second. But right now, for instance, Dane County Board of Supervisors has pitched to us a couple of different projects. We worked with our great partners in political science, and we were able to pitch out several of those projects and a couple of, you know, maybe 20, 25 students applied, a couple of students got selected, and now they're working on creating a policy brief for Dane County in these specific areas. One is around the redistricting process, the nonpartisan redistricting process that just happened within Dane County. And then the other one is how to improve the sister cities or sister, sister counties. So these two experiences got pitched out to a network of people in political science. These students apply, they got selected, and now they're in process of doing those things. So we do have some experiences where students can directly apply. Knowing that that is not as consistent as we want, we've actually now raised some money to be able to implement a university year scholars program where we're going to take a set cross-section of the projects that we get pitched to us from these different communities and we're going to have students directly and apply and be a part of a, a scholars cohort where they would come in, get a scholarship and be able to take a class together where they're working on these issues. 
We're going to try to find faculty mentors for them who are more subject matter experts in the areas that they're working in. Um, so, I mean, this could be a political science student. It could be an engineering student. It could be, you know, whatever, public health. And students can, can just apply to, to do that scholarship program. Definitely stay tuned to our website for more details about that. And, sorry, I wanted to say, if students find themselves in a discipline and they need to do an independent research project, maybe it's like a master's thesis, an honors thesis. Some, I even had a student come to me with a thing called a green sheet proposal, which I didn't know exactly what that was, which is basically if you're picking a class and you want to get an honors credit for it, you can do work that's above and beyond that class. And so if you have a green sheet proposal, you might even be able to work with us if it's an area that aligns with what our communities need. Notice I keep saying it has to be aligned with what our communities need. If a student really wants to work on some cool project that they have in mind and it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not on the list, sorry, we can't help you. The idea is we want to make you responsive to what communities need and not just have your own cool idea of what you think is the best for the, these communities. Um, the idea is for you to listen and respond um, and maybe even adapt what you're studying to what is a real real life need. So that's another way. So if students have a field placement that they need to do or an internship or a, a paper they need to write or a study they need to do, some experience like that, they can also contact us and say, I have, I have an interest in local government. I want to do whatever local governments want to do. And I have this skill set. And then we might be able to match you up with something that works well. So I would always encourage them to reach out if they have a mechanism like that. Here's the real deal. When students say something's going to happen, they need to actually make sure that it happens. I've had students volunteer and say, oh, I want to do this work, da, 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 and then they like disappear. We can't have that because that makes us look really bad to other communities. We don't want just volunteers. We want you to be involved in some sort of mechanism that you already have to do for your academic coursework. And then that serves as its own accountability structure again, right? You need to complete it. You want to get a good grade. Do that here with us. I don't really work with volunteers. I work with people who want to work with us for this kind of course credit or scholarship. In addition to all of this great work that we've been talking about that you're involved in, we also know that you teach a course. It's called Welcome to Your Urban Future. We were wondering if we could talk a little bit about that briefly, about what the kind of goals and broad overview of that course are, and then what are some of the major challenges facing the future of urban systems? So what we realized with the University Alliance is that, first of all, a lot of people don't know much about cities. They think cities are cool, students in particular. They think cities are cool. They like to visit them. They know there are places where they can go to have a good time, experience art and culture. And they might want to work in and with cities. They don't know what that means. They don't know what it means to work in or with a city. They might not even know that that's a potential career path. And they might think, oh, I need to have like an, an academic interest and that's going to take me in one direction or the other. I think the goal of the class is to showcase the variety of disciplines that are involved in helping make cities great places. I don't care what department you're in, whatever it is, you are probably involved in making cities a good place or your career could be that way. So what we wanted to do is showcase the variety of disciplines that are working. We have a whole week on how nonprofits intersect with Cities, for instance. A lot of people are interested in the nonprofit sector. They think, oh, cool, this is, you know, I want to work in nonprofits. Did you know that oftentimes cities collaborate with nonprofits to address social support service needs? So, for instance, right now, Mayors for a Guaranteed Income is pushing this whole idea of a universal basic income. They're working with nonprofit providers to get people signed up for the guaranteed income program. There are academics out there who are measuring the effect on it. The city is super involved in it. 
So if you're really interested in human rights and making sure that people have basic needs met, you could work in a city. And here's one way that you could think about it. So we have a whole week on the intersection with the nonprofit sector. So I think it's just opening students' minds to all these different disciplines who help make cities great places while also highlighting a lot of the challenges uh, that are involved in cities. We try to approach it from the level of high road development. You could think of one way to run cities, which is you treat the earth like a sewer and you don't really care what the impact on the environment is. You treat democratic governance as something that's broken and should be made fun of. And you can treat it like we don't really care who's involved in our city. We only want the most engaged people. Or you could go the exact opposite route, which is we treat the earth with, with respect. Democratic governance is something we should cherish and even use as a means of being able to produce more wealth. And we think that everybody should be involved and included in some way. That would be the high road way of thinking about cities. So we try to anchor it through the high road development of looking at cities while also looking at these challenges. Some huge issues that I think cities are struggling with right now. Um, number one, maybe you, you wouldn't necessarily think of this, but given all the data that's out there about what we know about people and about cities, I think they're just overwhelmed with the amount of data that's out there and don't know how to make decisions based on those data. So I think we're just kind of like looking at all this data and our eyes are like glazing over and like, what do we do? And then you hear things like, oh, we want to use data-informed decision-making to inform policing. And you're like, wait a minute, what, what data? And how did you get those data? And are those data biased or are they not biased? And oh yeah, sure, we want to do data-driven decision-making, but what does that mean for policing? You know, what does it mean for making our cities more sustainable or more equitable um, or getting more people involved? So I feel like that's a huge challenge right now. It's just the influx of data and how to make sense of it. I think another one is, of course, the impact that we're having on the physical environment, you know, in terms of sustainability. I think a lot of communities want to choose green or greener paths, but they don't always have the data and information to be able to justify the public expense of saying we need to invest in this infrastructure versus that infrastructure. That infrastructure that might be more destructive to the environment might be cheaper, but might not pay off in the long term. So how do we know how to make those kinds of decisions? Of course, equity is a huge issue um, in communities. Who's involved? Who's not involved? In fact, I was just involved uh, with a project around environmental decision making and who's been typically left out of the table or not invited to the table when we talk about environmental decision making. So I'm working with a life sciences communication and information school professors, Kaiping Chen and Corey Jackson, on how to increase black and brown voices in environmental decision making in the city of Madison and Dane County. And we had to work with nonprofit organizations who had better relationships than the city did. And so I think this whole like who's left out of the conversation around political decisions, that is a huge issue. I think if you didn't put public safety on the on the docket of like what is a major issue that urban areas are facing, you'd probably say, Gavin, you're missing something big. A lot of people are concerned with homelessness and crime in the inner city, although I do think it's maybe a bit overblown. And I think there are some people who maybe benefit politically from saying our cities aren't safe and we need to crack down on cities. And like, what does that mean? And crime doesn't only happen in urban areas. It happens in suburban and rural places too. But anyway, I think people need to feel a sense of safety in their community. And we need to figure out how to do that without just making sure that we triple the police force size and we're always being watched by police officers. Like, I don't think it's as easy as that. So I think all those things are some of the big urban challenges that are on the future horizon. And they're here right now, even.
That's really great. Actually, one of the things that you touched on a little bit in that answer about sustainability and how that is a huge issue facing urban areas right now. What do you think are some of the key sustainability challenges of future cities right now specifically? Yeah, I mean, I think when people start to think about, I mean, it's kind of boring. I mean, I feel like it's kind of boring to talk about infrastructure. I mean, nobody really, I don't know, doesn't really get everyone's eyes glowing like, oh my gosh, let's talk about green infrastructure. But I really do think, I mean, when you see these big projects happening in the city, you know, the whole thing, the whole road is torn up and they're replacing these giant pipes and all this kind of stuff. Like, are they thinking about what the impact on the environment is um, when you replace the pipes? When you think about transforming the water utilities or something like that, or when you think about transforming the electric utilities, which by the way, the city of Madison does not control the electric utilities, like MGE is a completely separate business. It's, you might call it like kind of a public corporation, but um, it's not city controlled. So I think there's a lot of issues that sometimes the city doesn't even have direct control over, but their residents experience the effects of it. So I think just this demand for energy, where are we getting the, the energy from? That might be something that local governments have some level of control over, but it might not be. But it is an, an issue that affects urban sustainability, like it or not, even though cities might not be the, the best decision maker in that. I also, uh, just to kind of throw out a, an interesting and, and fun one, you know, I know there's a guy on campus named David Drake who thinks about urban wildlife management. It's so like, how are we continuing to interact with critters that are all around here? I mean, we're literally... We've taken over their habitat. So sometimes when people's like trash cans get knocked over by raccoons or something like that, it's like those pesky critters, but it's like, yeah, but we've taken over their land. (laughs) And so what do we do with that? So how do we continue to manage um, urban wildlife, I think is, is a big issue. I also think just the economics of green infrastructure, I think is, is a huge thing. When you start talking about sustainability in urban areas, you have to talk about transportation as well. People are using gas vehicles right now. I mean, you all are probably familiar with the smog, right? Like of the 80s and 90s, when you look at LA, there's this huge like brown cloud over Los Angeles. And that comes from burning fossil fuels and, you know, having gas powered, fossil fuel powered uh, vehicles. So I think that's another huge area of concern around urban sustainability is just changing the way people think about how to get from place A to B. I mean, obviously, in a place like the city of Madison, you think buses, okay, in bigger cities, you think about rail, um, but it's not super convenient sometimes. It doesn't really serve everyone. It's you know hard to get from A to B consistently on a public transit system right now. So a lot of people use these vehicles that they might not want to use, but they do because it's more convenient. So I think that's another huge issue. So those are just to name a few. How do you balance engaging with how most cities operate right now and how they could be operating in the future when you take into account the hyper-partisan political, local reality in Wisconsin and also just in the U.S. in general, especially on issues like energy and green infrastructure and stuff like that? You know, it's one thing I love about local government is it's nonpartisan. I don't know if you all realize that, but when people run for mayor or run for city council or whatever, they don't run with a Republican or Democratic ticket. Um, They just run because they care about issues. So I feel like, of course, we know that there are some local candidates who are more aligned with the Democrats or the Republicans. But I, I love the fact that it's not formally partisan because 
when you get into some really thorny political issues at the local level, there is no clear right and left. So I actually got my PhD in educational leadership and policy studies focused on K-12 education. You want to talk about an interesting issue that is not clearly Republican versus Democrat? Start talking about K-12 schools. I mean, how our kids should be educated, what kind of funding they should allow. At the end of the day, why do so many referenda pass at the local level for schools? Because people freaking love kids, you know, and they want to make sure kids are educated. And if they go to schools in crappy buildings, then that's not going to make their education so great. So that's a nonpartisan issue. But, you know, like, should we use vouchers? Should we not use vouchers? There's some people on the right and the left who strongly believe we should or should not use vouchers. So, I, th- I mean, I know I didn't go in the direction of infrastructure because I know a little bit more about K-12 schools. But I think that's one of the things when we think about hyperpartisanship and then we think of local politics, like it really should not be partisan because these issues do not always fall nicely among ideological lines. It's not the culture wars, you know, debate. No, how do we actually make sure that we have clean drinking water? Everybody likes clean, clean drinking water, right? Um, how do we do this? So um, one thing that I'll also mention, I mean, for our political scientists out there, I hope someone's thinking deeply about this issue is the whole issue of state preemption of local action. When we think of local governments, we think of home rule. And that means like cities can do whatever they want. They can make their own rules within the constraints of what the state allows you to do. So sometimes the state preempts cities from doing what they know that they need to do. So, for instance, one of the biggest concerns, I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat and you're working in local government, one of the biggest concerns is levy limits. You know, you cannot go beyond 2% of the levy limit from last year. And I know some conservatives and some liberals who are both like, we need to change this. And unfortunately, as you think about local home rule, you would like to think that people who are conservative would totally agree with home rule. The lowest form of government is most in touch with people. They should agree on what to do unless we say it's something that we don't think that you should be able to do. So I think that's where the politics really do come into it. And and I'm not saying it's only Republicans who have advocated for constraining the actions of local governments. You know, there are Democrats also who believe that. But I think that's one of the big issues that needs to be solved is this kind of local preemption or sorry, state preemption of local action. That to me is, I think, the biggest issue right now. And yeah, we need to like let cities do what they want to do and let their residents figure out what that is for them. They don't need these kind of handcuffs put on by, uh, by the state. So what kind of opportunities are available for students who might be interested in career paths that involve improving urban areas and offering innovation in cities. Mm. Maybe that's with university. I'm sure that there are opportunities. (laughs) Come find us. Come find us. Yeah, take our class. Yeah. But yeah, what are like the different possibilities for career paths? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like the possibilities are truly endless for students who want to have careers in in local government, regardless of the field that you're in. I mean, I'm just going to like go down the row of like people who I know who work in and with local government on very different things, right? Say you're interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I know someone who's head of racial justice at the neighborhood level at the city of Madison. They work with neighborhood residents to try to increase equity in the city to make sure that these neighborhood residents' voices are heard. So if you're an organizer, a community organizer, and you want to work for the city, maybe you even want to work for a nonprofit organization that lobbies the city, like Sustain Dane, for instance. You're really environmentally interested. They work a lot with city government and city task forces. 
Um, say you're really interested in transportation. Like you can be a transportation geek. You can be a sociologist who's interested in transportation. You can be a policy analyst. You can be literally somebody who helps construct the roads, constructs the different infrastructure. So you could be an engineer who works. Actually, there is a city engineer. There's a city transportation engineer. Say you really want to work with your hands and you know you're in the trades. Like they're constantly being contracted to do public works projects. Um, there are all different kinds of people like that. Say you're, I'm going to put just, <laughs> just in quotes, just a policy analyst. Say you just want to study things and you want to be kind of an academic. There are like so many think tanks, consulting groups, even within city government, they sometimes will hire policy analysts. The Dane County Board of Supervisors hires policy analysts. City of Madison hires policy analysts. Say you're in interested in data science. A lot of people, a lot of cities, especially the bigger ones, not saying only the bigger ones, have people who have entire divisions thinking about how to use data for the public good. I mean, there's an open data portal right now in the city of Madison where any student who wants to use the city of Madison data can go on and literally download their data sets and help them with things like snow removal or faster EMT response times or aging of infrastructure, anything like that. So they're data science people. Say you're a business person and you're like super interested in real estate development. Well, there's an urban economics real estate program where you could be thinking about real estate transactions. There's also a group called Downtown Madison Incorporated that's thinking about urban development structure, like what is downtown going to look like? I feel like there are so many different kinds of career paths. Actually, one of the cool ones that I think got my students really interested uh, in the class was we actually had uh, someone who came and started their own business. This guy thought, you know, how do we take the fact that cities really don't know how the residents feel about living in their city. They don't really have satisfaction surveys. And so he wanted to build a platform that cities could actually go quickly and ask their residents, how do they feel about issue X, Y, and Z? How do they feel about overall quality of life? So that he's literally developed a product called Polco. I am not paid by them. I do not. That <laughs> feels like a commercial for them. But, but essentially, he started a business and he just like cared about making cities a better place. He stopped, become, he stopped being a professor and went into this area where he has people who were like, in business development or in marketing and communications around this, in software development that are all being put to work on behalf of this product that's literally sold to cities and counties and towns and villages all around the country. So you name it, like if you have an interest, you think you can like, you know, stump me. What about people who are in this field? Could they work with cities? I, I bet you I can come up with an area. Is there anything else as we're kind of wrapping up here that you would like to tell about University Alliance and your work or how they might get involved in policy research, engagement in communities? Are there any opportunities outside of Madison you'd recommend looking into? So the one, one big thing, if I ever have an audience of students that I tell them, is the university is more and more focused on seeing students as customers. I can probably argue that that's maybe not the best thing in the world. But we're really trying to be responsive to what you all want. If you choose not to come and study at University of Wisconsin, then we stop existing as an institution. It's pretty simple. So I think if students are not demanding more real-world experiences from the administration, then we continue to do the same business as usual. I continue to use as a selling point to our faculty, like, students want to do this work. And they want more ways to plug into real-life experiences, real-world internships, things that they can take that are actually going to prepare them for careers in public service. I think that the university does a great job 
Um, I just think that there's always room for improvement to give our students more experiences where they can roll up their sleeves, get their hands dirty, and actually realize that like things don't always work the way that they that we teach in classrooms, you know? And the only way that you're going to be able to do that, I think, is being in a safe space like the University of Wisconsin, teach you some skills and things like that and get you ready, then give you an opportunity to test and innovate and design, and then do that in the safety, safe context of doing that within the university in the context of these community partnerships. So I think like every student who's on here, start to demand from your own department that we offer more real world experiences and then point to university year like that. I want to work with that. I'm constantly on a on a, a mission to get more faculty interested in this kind of work. And sometimes the tenure and promotion process doesn't always incentivize faculty to do this work. So I've worked with some amazing faculty and I know and like faculty are amazing and they want to work on this kind of stuff. Uh, but the reality is they have a lot of other competing interests, right? So if this were valued at the university level in promotion and tenure processes, that's Another little soapbox I like to get on is changing the culture of this university also means changing what we reward and what we acknowledge for faculty um, and frankly, even staff to work on. Sometimes there are actually some cool opportunities for staff to get involved in our stuff, but it's like, well, it's not really our charge to do community engagement stuff. It's really just to be focused on our students or on our own institution. We take the Wisconsin idea seriously, then it means like the entire University of Wisconsin should be put to work on behalf of the residents of the state of Wisconsin. So I would say, you know, continue to build pressure within the institution to say, we need to be doing this. And this is not just UW-Madison. The institution of higher education has not changed largely in 500 years. You know, we, we work on this kind of expert-based, you know, research agenda kind of model. But I think things are changing. And I think students' demands are changing. And I think that's a pretty good thing. If we want to continue to sell people on the fact that University of Wisconsin is a good public investment, then we need to do our end of the bargain by providing some concrete, tangible things that show them, yeah, you're right. They are worth the investment. So I think that's that's one big thing. If anybody ever wants to figure out how to get involved, never hesitate to reach out to me. I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Gavin Luter, you know, my email address, gavin at cows.org. It's the coolest email address <laughs> I've ever had in my professional career. And uh, and yeah, I'd love to figure out how to how to get you involved and engaged. So I'm very excited. Just have to give a little pitch to the new chancellor who's here, Chancellor Manukin. She came in talking a lot about the Wisconsin idea. I hear faculty all the time say, I chose to come to the University of Wisconsin because of the Wisconsin idea. I know people who have left here and gone to other universities and like, wow, the Wisconsin idea is very real in this place in a way that public service is not always valued at other universities. We have something really special here. And I think there is a heart for public engagement and public service that most faculty have here that doesn't always exist somewhere else. I do think we are a special place for that. And hopefully that bleeds onto the students. We need to make sure the Wisconsin idea is really explained and you all leave here as evangelists of the Wisconsin idea by the time you're out of here. Well, I think that's the perfect note to end it on. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Gavin. We really appreciate it and you had some great advice. For more information on 1050 Bascom, visit polysci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. The podcast is edited by Claire Salmi, Fiona Hatch, and Cole Wozniak, and is produced by Amy Gangle. Thanks for listening.